Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Really excited about uh, what God has in store for us. We've been in a series entitled Don't Get It Twisted. And it's been a relationship series uh, for everybody, really, uh, not just for marriages or uh, people who are dating, but it just kind of encompassed all of our relationships. And this morning, I, I'd like to speak to you uh, ar- around this idea of you've been set apart, but you might be set up. You've been set apart, but you also might be set up. And uh, I-, I believe God wants to speak to something very specific. So listen. Just lean in today. Lean in with all you got and just open up your heart to the Lord. No matter what kind of week you had, no matter how you walked in here, if you were fighting in the car, who cares? Lean into this moment and, uh, and let's invite Jesus in. Father, I thank you so much that as we jump into your word that, God, that it would just refresh our souls. I thank you that it is, it is alive, it is active, um, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, I, I know that we all have come this morning uh, Lord, some of us, again, are on the mountaintop, some of us are in the valley, some of us are struggling in the tension, and just ask that, God, you would breathe life into every heart, into every mind, and I just pray that we would have fun on the journey today. We love you. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you guys a question. Does, does anybody have anything that, that you've just kind of set apart as special? Maybe something valuable to you. That you've set apart for a special occasion. It could be clothes. Anybody have like maybe a special suit? How many guys have a suit you never wear unless you have to on a special occasion? Uh, Ladies, you may have uh, a dress that you don't wear unless it's a special occasion. You may have uh, certain uh, clothes that are set aside just for a, a special night out. Well, many of you guys ask me, how do I keep my shoes so white? And... The answer to that question is, I have a white pair of shoes set apart for Sundays. Um, They're set apart as special. I only wear them on Sundays because shoes are expensive, and I can't buy shoes all the time. So if I want to have a white, fresh pair of Jordans, I have to make sure that they're set apart for the best day of the week uh, outside of my family fun day, which is Sunday. And and so, so we all have things that we set apart as valuable. Well, in the 1600s, there was uh, some jewelry that was set apart. It was called the crown jewels in England. Now, these jewels were were set apart in a tower in London that was more fortified uh, than any other structure in England. In fact, there was probably more guards that guarded the crown jewels than than, uh, the Pope. It was just a heavily fortified tower because these jewels were were special. They were valuable. They They were set apart. They were distinguished from all the other jewels. So nobody in their right mind would ever try to steal or to breach the tower with the crown jewels in London. Nobody in their right mind. But there's always that one guy, right? And that one guy's name is Thomas Blood. In the 1600s, he decided that I'm going to go in and I'm going to steal the crown jewels. And so the way he did it was extremely comical. He created a fake family. He used costumes. He hired a prostitute to be his wife. Uh, He used all of these uh, fake tactics. And and the goal was to really tap into the inner sanctum. Because the the, the, the place was so fortified, unless you had a connection, unless you got to the source, you wouldn't be able to get in. And so he swindled a man by the name of Talbot, which was the guardian of the crown jewels. This guy had full access 
to the inner sanctum where these jewels were kept. And so this gentleman by the name of Thomas Blood promised this guy Talbot, the guardian of the jewels, that his fake nephew would marry his homely daughter. I guess the, Talbot could not find a person or a man to, to marry his daughter, so he was overwhelmed at the fact that, man, somebody likes my daughter. And so he set up a private tour of the crown jewels that was unguarded. And you guys can probably figure out what happened. It's a true story. They actually got into the inner sanctum. They knocked poor Talbot out. And then they took the crown jewels, and what they did was horrific. They took the crown, and they flattened it. They cut the scepters. So they just started breaking everything into pieces. And as they, as they were doing that, they were shoving it in their clothes, in their pants, like they were stealing from Ross. Are you with me? <laughs> Trying to walk out of the tower like, we're good. And they got caught. The king was so amused, though, by the act, he gave him an official title. He didn't get arrested, and he gave him an estate in Ireland. Right? Not bad for trying to steal the crown jewels and uh, successful, but, uh, but caught. You know, I, I think that there's, there's certain things that God sets apart as special, that God sets apart as sacred. And I think probably the, the two things that are, are most sacred is our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, that God has set apart our relationships to be sacred. They're valuable uh, in, in every form, in every fashion. God says, man, relationships are huge. In fact, the, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord's like, man, if you get these two right, life is going to work well. And, and, and in this, this separation, there should be a distinction, I think, as followers of Jesus in our relationships compared to the rest of the world. Uh, it's interesting, the world, when they think about love, a lot of times, love is a means to what I can get, whereas a follower of Jesus in the kingdom, love is a means to what can I give. Right? I, I think in the world, when you argue and you fight, the goal is personal victory. Come on, some of you guys were doing that in the car on the way here. Trying to get a personal win. But in the kingdom, it's way different. You're not fighting for a personal victory. You're fighting for unity. You're fighting, you're, you're, you're fighting for reconciliation. You're, you're fighting for um, alignment. I think in, in the world, many times, uh, there, there, there are several different things that when you contrast the world's aspect from the follower of Jesus' aspect, it, it's, it's vastly different. Like, like this one, I think, is probably intrigues me the most, is that in the world, it's okay to be angry, not just for days, not just for months, but sometimes for years. But in the kingdom, God says, listen, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. I think in the world we evaluate relationships by how much I'm gaining, where in the kingdom we evaluate our relationships by how well am I serving. And so there should be a distinction. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, he said, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Unlike the Gentiles who just lord over and use their positions uh, of authority um, to really lead from a place of position rather than from a place of relationship and service, Jesus said, not with you. It should be different. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So often in the world, we're quick to get angry, quick to speak, and we don't even like to listen. 
And so there should be a great contrast that our relationships, God has, has called us to be set apart. So much so that Jesus said, the world will know you, uh, that you belong to me because of your love for one another. Meaning the world should look back and is just blown away by this reality. Like, wow, how do you love like that? How do you, how do you live like that? Is that even possible? Is that, is that even real? The sad part is this, is that many times the world looks at our relationships and it looks no different than theirs. A lot of times the world looks and they're like, well, aren't you supposed to be a follower of Jesus, right? And some of us, like, we don't want to put a bumper sticker on our car because no way. Like, we're not going to incriminate ourselves like that, right? Some of us are out of control on the road. Right, so, so e even when you look at statistics, the divorce rate in the church is the same as those outside of the church. Yeah. Right, if you've been through a divorce, hey, no condemnation here. It's from this day forward. We, we're, we're, moving, we're moving forward. Um, so don't, I'm not here to heap any guilt or condemnation on anybody. It's just, it's just reality, though, that the, the world statistics look a lot like the church statistics. And the Lord says, no, you're supposed to be set apart. But many times we look the same. Why? Why? It's because the enemy is not okay with that. The enemy does not get excited, meaning we have a real enemy of our soul. He does not get excited to say, hey, I'm so grateful you're thriving in your relationship with God. I so want your marriages and your families to be healthy, and I really want you to be in Christ-centered friendship where you can thrive and, and people want to see God's very best in your life. And so what we end up finding ourselves in without realizing it is we think that a lot of our issues are practical, but really they're spiritual. It's a, it's a both and. And so a lot of the spiritual components, we don't like to think about this a lot, but the truth of the matter is the reason why we find ourselves in that tension is because there's warfare. There's a real spiritual battle happening um, over what God has deemed is set apart. The enemy is not excited about that. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that what God has set apart is special. The enemy sets up to steal. So as God says, man, this is set apart as special, as sacred, the enemy sets up and says, man, how can I, how can I tear that apart? How can I get my hands on that? How can I get into the source of things and rob them? How can I cut them down? How can I break things into pieces? Like, like that, that's his heart and goal. Good morning, everybody. That's his heart and that's his goal is he wants to steal, he wants to set up. What God has set apart. And so even though we may be set apart, I want you to be aware that be careful because you also might be getting set up. And so I, I want to bring some things to our attention this morning. And I think the, the best way to describe it is a story found in the Old Testament of Samson and Delilah. Uh, Samson was a man that God had set apart. And when God had set him apart, Satan was already planning to set him up. And so, so Samson and Delilah, let me give you a little bit of context of, of this story. Samson, uh, he uh, was born to his parents who were older in age. The Lord said, hey, you are going to give birth to a son. And he's going to be a special guy. In fact, you find uh, his story in uh, Judges 13, 14, and 15. You can go through and read the entire story. It's really just fascinating. Um, so many nuggets of truth and wisdom of what to do and what not to do in the life of Samson. But nevertheless, we're going to pick up in uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 5. It says, you will become pregnant and have a son, the Lord says, whose, whose head is never to be touched by a razor. How many, go, how many guys know I wouldn't have blast? Haircut every Friday. <laughs> whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. 
He will be taken, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, for the people of Israel, this was really exciting because they're on the verge of losing their identity um, as a result of the Philistines overwhelming them. Philistines and them were, have been at odds and, uh, and, and were just really uh, unhappy with the Israelites and vice versa. And so the fact that God was raising up somebody to deliver them would have just pumped them up. And it says that this man, Samson, was a Nazarite. Now, it's important that we lean into this, and I, I want to give you the, the ABCs of, of a Nazarite, of a Nazarite vow. See, what, what would happen is when I would take a Nazarite vow, majority of people would take it for about a month. And it was a time, it was like a fast. It was like, I'm going to set this, this time apart for God. I'm going to be devoted in these areas, and I, I'm going to seek God's face. It was, was one of these moments where I'm going to take 30 days, and I'm going to consecrate myself to the Lord. Well, for Samson, it says that not only was he born out of the womb, uh, uh, dedicated, uh, set apart unto the Lord, but also that would carry on through his entire lifetime. So it wouldn't just be a, a month for Samson, it would be his entire life. And this vow consisted of, number one, no alcohol. No alcohol, meaning no hard drink. We don't want your judgment to be impaired. Don't even want to come close to the vine uh, because, you know, it can be a little bit tempting as you're eating some nice grapes. Uh, just stay away from the vine. And the second one was stay away from barbers. Like I said, you couldn't put a razor to the head because letting your hair grow out was a sign to the world, was an outward sign to the world that I am devoted to God, that I have made this vow, that, that I'm committed to the Lord. It was a sign of separation. And then the third one was corpses. Stay away from dead things. Just don't get close to them. Right? If you come close to dead things, you would be deemed as unclean. Well, Samson didn't, he didn't oblige by these vows. Matter of fact, really quickly, right off the gate, uh, we see Samson go in a completely different direction. So as Samson gets older, he decides that he wants to, to marry this particular woman that his family is not a fan of, uh, especially his parents. And they're like, hey, Samson, couldn't you find a sweet little girl? Like, this girl's trouble. This is not good. It's going to be a bad relationship. And Samson said, you know what? She looks good in my eyes. So I don't know what you guys are going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. Bring her to me. And that was really Samson's MO. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm going to do what I like to do, and that's just it. So that's what happened. Uh, uh, he ends up connecting with this girl. One day he's on a journey and maybe a sign from the Lord as uh, a result of Samson's decisions, maybe a sign from the Lord saying, stop, what are you doing? But a lion jumps out to, to kill him. And Samson kills the lion with his bare hands. Spirit of God comes upon Samson, tears up the lion. How many of you guys know that fueled his ego? And so, so he goes on to get married. Or, but, but I'm just, Let me backtrack real quick. So he kills the lion. He makes his way back uh, from that journey, and there is a beehive in the carcass. Samson is not supposed to touch dead things, but he doesn't care. So he grabs the beehive. He grabs some honey out of it and even brings them home to his parents. He doesn't care. Samson's going to do what he wants to do. So the story goes on. He ends up getting married. He has this huge Philistine wedding feast. Now, at the Philistine wedding feast, everybody's getting hammered. We're talking like beer pong. We're talking kegs. We're talking like it's, it's, it's one of those like everything is fermented, right? And so Samson, Samson gets hammered. He ends up killing 30 guys. How many guys know that marriage didn't work out? 30 guys on his wedding. You murder 30 guys on your wedding. Um, so that relationship went south. He ends up connecting with a prostitute later down the road, and then he meets Delilah. Everybody say Delilah. 
And he falls in love with this girl. And so, but she's in it for the wrong motives too. He's in it for self-pleasure, so is she. she. He's about himself, she's about herself. And so the Philistines come to her and they say, hey, D, come here. We will give you, each of you, a ton of money. Each of us will give you a ton of money if you can figure out the source of Samson's strength. So she's like, deal. So she lures Samson into conversation and she says, so honey, um, you want to go ahead and give up that source? Go ahead and tell me the source of your strength. Like I wonder how these conversations went back in the day, right? You got to imagine. And Samson said, oh man, tie me up with some bowstrings. I won't be able to break free. So she ties him up. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And it says that the Philistines were lurking in the darkness. Like they were, they, they were hiding, waiting to see what would happen. And so, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he broke out of the bowstrings and he's ready to go. Didn't work. She's like, you're making a fool of me. Like, how could you do this to me? Right? And so he, he, she asked again, tell me the source of your strength. So he says, really, you need to tie me up with ropes. Well, she tied him up with ropes. And how many of you guys know, after a while, you, you might get a little suspicious, right? You wake up and you're tied up with bowstrings and ropes and all these things. And she says, the Philistines are on you. And boom, he breaks free from that. Then she's like, you're really making a fool of me. Like, stop this, Samson. Tell me what's really the issue. Tell me what's really the source of your strength. And so he says, listen, if you take my braids and you tie them up, put a little pin in there, I'm going to lose my strength. So that's what she does. She ties up his braids. She puts a little pin in there. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up, pulls the pin out, and he's ready to go. Ready to go. Full of strength. But then, but then, it's interesting, he gives up the hair. He's getting closer and closer to the source. Closer and closer. Persistence of the enemy moves him closer and closer to revealing and sacrificing the source. And so Delilah says this, picks up here in Judges chapter 16. It says, then she said to him, how can you say I love you? How can you say this when you won't even confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she probed him day after day until he was sick to death of it. And he gave up the source. Eventually he said, fine, it's my hair. And she knew, it's your hair. So she shaved his head off. Scary, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks up and he thinks all is normal. For he does not realize that the Lord had departed from him. He gets captured. They gouge out his eyes. It's a bad day for Samson. But far before he lost his eyes, far before he lost his sight, he lost vision far before, before that. Delilah was the pinnacle, but Samson had, you know, rejected God. He had rejected um, his, the vow, the, 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 this reality that God had set him apart. He was just doing his own thing. He rejected some key voices in his life that were one of God's best for him. And so all of this was a culmination, but day after day she just persisted, and finally he gave up the source. Can I just tell you that as you flirt with sin, over and over and over, eventually you're going to sell out at some point. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. In fact, if you're taking notes, jot this down, is that sin will always lead you to sacrifice your source. We see this all throughout Scripture. Come on, King David, I know you got a ton of wives, but you need your buddy's wife. Sacrifice the source. 
What does David do? Turns his back on the source of his strength in life, meaning his relationship with God, and embraces something that's fake, that's an imposter, that promises everything. But what ends up happening, it just cuts him down, destroys him. Right? We see Judas. Hey, Judas, man, don't you love hanging out with that money all the time? You really don't need Jesus. Sacrifice the source because you really need your pocketbook to be a little bit further along. The enemy will always try to lead you. Sin will always move you to sacrifice the source. Satan is not concerned if you're in church. He just doesn't want you to connect with the source. He's always been about the source. Listen, if, if you have a, a, a great marriage, you know, he, he is not, uh, he's not so concerned with you having a marriage. He just doesn't want it to be great. Right? He doesn't want there to be unity in the home. He doesn't want there to, to, to be, uh, to, for the godly family to thrive. He doesn't want any of that. So what are we doing? Man, they're great at communication. Let's get the source. Let's, let's get them at the source. Let's do whatever we can to get them to sacrifice the source. I love what C.S. Lewis says in the Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters is a great narrative on spiritual warfare. Because a lot of times we don't want to think about spiritual warfare. I think C.S. Lewis puts it in a way that's very clear and very palatable. So I would recommend you getting this book. But he says this. He says, it is, isn't it funny how mortals always picture uh, us. I'm sorry. Isn't it funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds when in reality our best work is done by keeping things out? And in the screw tape letters, it's, it's two demons having a conversation. And the older demon is kind of mentoring the younger demon. And they're talking about how they infiltrate and plot on, on humanity, on how what God has set apart, they're looking for ways to set up. And a lot of times we think, man, the enemy is, you know, planting all of these thoughts, but sometimes he's just keeping us so busy and distracted from, from us being focused on what we really need to be focused on. He's, he's working so hard to keep us busy, distracted, and deceived, not so that he can put something in, but so that we're, we're, he's keeping things out. Are you, are you with me on that? He does not want, he wants to break connection at the source. He wants to break connection with God. He wants you to break connection with others. He wants to break connection. He wants the source. If there's no connection, there's no power. And he always goes after the source. And so I think that if Samson would have leaned into his Nazarite vow, I think there's some principles that we can extract from it. Now, uh, I'm not telling anybody here by whatsoever to, to take a Nazarite vow. This is Old Testament language. But, but I think there's some principles that if Samson could have leaned into, I, I think they speak to some warfare when it comes to our relationships. If he would have just paid attention that God had set him apart as special and only realized that the enemy had set him up to steal. And I think if he would have leaned into a couple of these things, I think it could have saved him a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and a lot of difficulty. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is that you weren't to have any alcohol. In other words, you were to be sober-minded. You were to be sober-minded. As you look throughout Scripture, a lot of times when we jump to sobriety, we think intoxication. We think uh, we jump right to alcohol or we jump to a substance abuse. And, and, it's, and it's very true um, that those things will impair your judgment. Satan would love to, to, to creep in and distort your perspective. He'd love to get in there and distort your judgment, keep you from being uh, able to discern what's true um, from what's false. He, he loves confusion. And, uh, and, and we see passages in the scripture like Ephesians chapter 5. The apostle Paul tells us, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the spirit. 
Well, that word be filled in the spirit in the Greek is a continuum. It has this notion of be being filled with the spirit, meaning continuously be under the influence of the spirit of God. Because when you're under the influence of the Spirit of God, you're going to be able to do all those things very well. Your judgment's going to be clear. Your mind's going to be clear. You're going to be able to discern right from wrong. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of clarity. However, if you're intoxicated with wine, things could go south. It messes with you, right? And it probably gives you a little bit more confidence sometimes than you need. And some would say it's truth serum, but it's, de- it's deceptive. It's distorted. However, I think there's another aspect of sobriety in Samson's case that we need to pay attention to and lean into. And it's found, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and 5. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Everybody say sober. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Now, a lot of times when this passage is taught, we jump right to this. Everybody part is important. And that's true. We say that here to our dream team all the time. Every task is important. We're all playing our part. We're all a part of one body. There's no superheroes here except for Jesus. If somebody comes to, to, to the Lord today, it's not because Pastor Matt is awesome. It's not because worship is the best. It's because we all played our part. All the glory goes to God. We're simply stewarding what God has given us. That's it. No task is unimportant. And, but, but at the very same time, that, that is the context of this passage. But there's another aspect that I want us to lean into is that when we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, the problem is we don't think we need other parts of the body. We don't think we need people in our life. Where Paul says we belong to each other. Like we need each other. Like if the leg doesn't have a brain, it's going to be a messed up day. But when we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we keep people at a distance because we don't need, we don't need people. Because I'm okay. And that's, that was Samson's life. He had great people trying to speak into his life. But he refused. Why? Because he thought of himself more highly than he ought to. And so what happened is he says, man, I don't, I don't need those connections. I don't need them. I'm going to figure this out on my own. How many of us are wandering around today with that same heart and attitude? The majority of us in here would say, that's not me. I'm not prideful. I'm not like Samson walking around like, I killed this lion and I slaughtered guys with a jawbone, right? You're like, I'm very humble. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a question to clarify this. If that's true, then who do you have in your life that you can be totally open and vulnerable with that has permission to speak into your life? I'm not saying you have to have a ton of people, but there should be one or two. And if you're always the one giving advice, if you're always the savior, you might think of yourself more highly than you ought to. If nobody can come in, if you can't come in and share your weaknesses, if you can't come in and be vulnerable, if you can't come in and and, and say, hey, I'm drowning here, then you probably think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And eventually in your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, you will hit a proverbial lid. There, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Bryce. He's a Navy SEAL. And he was explaining his experience at BUDS. Anybody ever heard of BUDS? It's like the Navy SEAL training camp. It's at where every guy wants to go. We just don't want the pain. We just want, like, 
the glory of going through being a Navy SEAL. At least I do. Uh, so, so he explains his, his journey through Buds. It's, it's brutal. They start out with a few hundred guys. It dwindles down to maybe 20, 25 at the end. And they put you through what's called Hell Week. And at Hell Week, I mean, they're just messing you up. They're freezing you, right, putting you in hypothermic situations. They're, they're drowning you or borderline drowning you so they can see how your mind is reacting. You're operating on about three minutes of sleep per night. It's like, you got three minutes. Wake up. And you're carrying vessels on the beach. You're swimming miles. I mean, it's just they are trying to bring you to the limit. That's what the goal is. The goal is to push you to the limit. And then there's a bell. And if you can't go anymore, you just say, you ring the bell. I'm done. And so by the time they, they go into hell week with a couple hundred guys, by the time they're done, it dwindles down to about 20 or 25. And a lot of times it's not about will or motivation. It's just they just can't do it anymore. So Bryce gives the story. He says, and he had about 50 yards left of, of his swim. And he said, everything in me is fighting. I want this more than anybody in this training. I want this, but my body just is like, sorry, bro, you've reached your wall. And so he just can't do it anymore. He just can't. And he knows that he's, he's going to start to sink. So in that moment, you just kind of wave, hey, I'm drowning. And somebody comes and picks you up. Well, right before he's going to do that, he locks eyes with his friend Mark on the shore. And it was, it was one of those moments where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And Mark locks eyes with him, and they lock eyes, and Mark just yells at him, go! And he said, I don't even know what happened. He said, something in me just snapped me out, and I, my body kicked back into gear, and I started making my way back, and I, I, I made the cut. And, and scientists, you know, science is, is baffled at this reality of human connection as they study babies and, and, and embracing a child and the lack of embrace of a child, how it affects their, de- their, their development and all that good stuff. But what's really incredible in this moment, Bryce's physical body just said, I can't do it. But there was something about that connection that just downloaded a software that communicated to his brain that said, I got to go. Because that's how we were wired. We were made for connection. That's how God made us. And so here's the deal. With Samson, as he's, you know, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to, and he's distancing himself from people because he's still made for connection, he still goes to find it. A lot of times it's just the wrong connection. Let me show you a a graph by Dr. Henry Cloud. And I I think it describes Samson really, really good. You know when, uh, when you turn on your cell phone, when you power it back on, you look at the top right-hand corner, what does it say? Searching. Right? Unless you have AT&T because it's so good, it just goes right to your bars. <laughs> searching. Right? It's searching for a connection. And when you don't have, listen, when you don't have connection because you're wired for connection, you're still going to search. And in Samson's case, he went from no connection to having some bad connections. Come on, I know some of us have had some bad connections over the years, Right? All my exes live in Texas, right? We've had some bad connections where we're, we're thinking like, what in the world was I thinking? And they're thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Everybody's messed up and broken. Bad connection. It's not life-giving. It's not exciting, right? We feel, you don't feel like you're, you're living. And, and a lot of times when there's bad connections, when there's a bad connection, you walk around like this. We're just looking for some hope, Right? And so, so we, draw, we drop down to a pseudo-connection. 
Now, pseudo is an imposter. It's, it's fake. It's, it's like, it, it's, not, it's not real. It's something that, that's phony. So we, 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 we digress to relationships that are flattering. People that just tell us everything we want to hear. Very surface. As Pastor Chris said, it would probably be more on the face scale. Uh, last week, if you missed that message, you got to go check it out. Friendship will change your future. Incredible. But, but this is also the place where we look for other connections like medicating. When there's no connection, a lot of times it leads to bad connection because we're not being intentional with what we're connecting. And then a lot of times it leads to pseudo connection. So we're looking for flattery, just looking to feel good. We're looking for something. And it leads to a lot of dysfunction. But if you're taking notes, it's not until we get down to real connection that the game actually changes. Where you can, you can say, hey, I'm drowning. And somebody's looking at you in the eye saying, go. Or stop. Like, for instance, Samson. I mean, you got you to picture Samson. Delilah was wearing on this guy for days. Where was his friends? What was the voices in his life day after day? They're saying, hey, bro, she tied you up three times. Bad connection. Not okay. Can uh, we turn on the air? Are you guys hot in here? That'd be awesome. Can we turn on the air, guys? That'd be great. And, and so where were they? We didn't allow anybody in. And, and he hit his lid, and it led to his destruction. What God has set apart is special, Satan set up to steal. And even though at the end of his life there was one more kind of fiasco, the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And we serve a God of redemption, but I, I would love to save you some pain in the process. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if, if everything in our life just didn't have to be redeemed all the time, but we can not just learn from consequence, but start to learn from some wisdom. And, and I wonder how many marriages are in here right now that are, that are, that are drowning, that are suffering. And it's just like, no, we're just going to keep going. Don't say anything. We're, gonna just, we're just going to figure it out. You hit a lid. What you need is a real connection. You need, you need a, a, a real opportunity for, to be vulnerable and to say, man, this is what Jesus talks about. This is what James talks about when it comes to healing in relationships. We need this aspect. It's so critical. We need this real connection. Listen, if you don't have anybody that you can go to, find somebody. That's your next step. Go find somebody that you can trust, that you could be completely vulnerable with. I know it's scary, but what's scary is suffering and drowning and not getting any help. That's more scary. And I'm not even just talking about these major things. This is, this, this is how we're supposed to do life together. This is how we're supposed to live together. Are you guys tracking with me on that? Like, it's not just when we're in dire straits, but I need people around me all the time so I don't get into dire straits. But listen, who is asking you the tough questions? Who do you have? Is there any real connections? Is there anybody that can say, go, stop? Samson needed to stop, but nobody was there. We need people in our life. We need real connections. We were designed for that. The last point is this. Barbers, stay away from barbers. In other words, hold your helmet. Hold your helmet. One of the key aspects of warfare, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. My address on my slide is wrong. Let me show you. It's really Ephesians 6, 17. It's a typo. Um, but, but Paul says this when talking about taking our stand against the enemy, 
talking about spiritual warfare. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let me break this down really quickly. The helmet of salvation, it, it's, it's our assurance. And the God who rescued us and the, and, the, and the God who set us apart out of darkness into his marvelous light, it's, it's our confidence, it's our assurance. The God is who he says that he is. And I love how Paul couples this with the word of God because there's something about hearing the word of God, the Bible says, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As our faith increases, our, insur- our assurance gets a, a lot more secure, a lot more firm. That helmet gets on a little bit tighter. And so, so Paul said, listen, man, hold your helmet and get the word of God. Get truth on the inside of you to reinforce the reality of who God is, of what God has said, of all that God has promised. Don't lose. Don't lose your assurance. Hold your helmet. Hold your source. Faith comes by hearing. The reason why hearing is so important, it, it was interesting. I, I was here on Thursday night for worship practice, and Edgar was playing the drums. And he was just, you know, we're doing sound checks. And I was trying to think of a song. But I couldn't, I could not think of the song while he was pounding on the drums. Because it was a different beat. It was a different rhythm. And so I was trying to think of this song, but I couldn't think of it because until he stopped, All I could hear was the rhythm he was playing, and it's almost as if the enemy just screams so loud. Remember, it's not just what the enemy wants to put inside of your mind. It's what he wants to keep your mind from seeing or hearing. And it's almost like, man, I can't, I just, he wants the sound to be so loud of distraction, disillusionment, deception, distortion, that, oh, goodness, I just can't even... I can't even think, but the opposite is also true. Depending on what rhythm is playing in your head, a lot of times will determine the song that you hear. And so Paul says, hold your helmet. Get the word of God on replay. Like get it on the inside of you, on the inside of you. Let it go so that when deception, when false things come, when, when the enemy tries to steal, when he sets you up, you're already prepared to hold your helmet. Are you with me on that? And so, so this is what First John says, and I'm almost done. He says, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Satan wants to break the source of connection in your relationship with others, and he wants to break the ultimate source of connection with you and God. He may not be able to steal your salvation, but he wants to make you miserable and render you ineffective as you're on mission here in this life. And he, and he wants to get at your faith. If he can shake your faith, if he can rob your assurance and your confidence, he's won a great victory. He has cut you down, even though that may not be the reality, even though it may be full of deception. If he can cut you from that source, he'll have won a great battle. I want to introduce you to a couple. <clears throat> David and Siva. David and Sia found, Siva found themselves as missionaries to the Congo. They were in their early 20s. They'd gotten married, and they felt a call to go to the mission field. And as they embarked on this journey, they landed at a mission base camp, and they were praying and asking the Lord, what should we do? So after much sacrifice, after much prayer, they decided that they were going to go up into the remote parts of, of the region and into one of these un uh, reach villages that they've never heard the gospel of Jesus. They've never heard the good news of Jesus. And uh, 
And what they were going to do was they were going to, they were going to set up shop and they were going to try to reach this tribe. Well, long story short, they, uh, they found themselves against their backs against the wall. The chief of the tribe did not want to let them in because he felt like it would violate some of the idols that they worshipped. So he kept them at a distance, but he did allow a young boy to come and bring them food uh, once in a while, some chickens and some water. And so they were just praying and praying and praying, no breakthrough. Anybody ever been in that moment where you've just been contending for something and it just seems like, man, are my prayers hitting the ceiling, God? Come on, we're on the mission field. Like, aren't you supposed to do some cool stuff? Nothing was happening. So this lady, Siva, she's a really small little, little lady. She's like 4'3". And she's like, well, I'm just going to go after this kid. Like, we're going to get this kid saved. And so they just put all their attention on reaching this, reaching this kid. But, but the, the climate was just brutal. I mean, malaria was flying around. They partnered with another couple named the Ericsons, and all of them were just getting malaria. It was just hard work for very little fruit or results, what it appeared to be. And so the Ericsons said, sorry, guys, we're done. Like, this kid, that's great, but we're out of here. So long story short, uh, David and Steve, they, they end up staying. And this kid ends up coming to Jesus and uh, which was awesome, but it didn't look like it didn't look like much. In the process, she got pregnant while she had malaria. She gave birth to a daughter by the name of Angie, and then she she passed away about 17 days later. And her husband was just beside himself. He's like, God, this is what I get. I mean, we come on. Angry at God. He said, you know what, I'm done with this mission, and I'm done with you, God. He took his newborn baby along with his older son, took his older son with him, left the newborn baby at the mission with the Ericsons. Just said, I can't even, I can't even do this. He buried his wife, and he went home. Just bitter. Started drinking a ton. And just, just angry at God. Anytime you would mention God, it would just be like, just, he would fly into a rage. Just could not stand the Lord. So the Ericsons end up passing away. Shortly after, again, the disease was so bad, this young girl gets adopted by uh, an American family. And so she's reading one day at, at the university, and she sees this, this, this article from Sweden. And it has her mother's grave and a picture of her mother's grave on, in the article. And she's like, this is my mom. Like, this is... And so she had it translated really, really quick. And, and she said, man, I, I, I got to go and, and see my dad. See, what had happened was this... This young kid had gotten saved, and he went back, and he started a school, and all the kids in the school got saved. And then uh, they uh, shared the gospel with their parents, and their parents got saved. And the article was like, there's 600 believers now in this remote area in the Congo. And she's like, it wasn't in vain. And she says, I got I to gotta talk to my dad. They're like, man, we don't think that's a good idea. And she gets to her dad. She says, Papa, I have to, I have to tell you a little story. She says, and it's a true one. She said, you didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God on your life. He has never hated you. The old man turned back and looked into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed and he began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon he came back to the Lord and... Uh, the, the Lord, the God that he resented for so many decades. And over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. And Angie and her husband soon had to return to America. 
And within a few weeks, David Flood had gone to be in eternity. But a few years later, the Hertz were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo, the superintendent of the national church representing 110,000 baptized believers spoke eloquently of the gospel spreading in his nation. Angie couldn't help but to go and ask the man afterwards if he had ever heard of David and Siva Flood. He replied, yes, madam. <laughs> and he replied in French. His words began to translate into English, and he said, it was Siva Flood who led me to Jesus. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her are honored. She is honored by, by all of us here. The enemy is working so hard to, to, to rob the source of your faith. He wants you to think that your prayers aren't working. Like going to church, what's really opening up the Bible, what's that gonna do? And it's so easy to lose sight. He's going after the source. But I'm here to tell you today, listen, their story along with many others are a testimony to God's faithfulness. God is not a God that he should lie. God is faithful to finish what he started. Your labor is not in vain. Don't give up. Go! Go! Don't stop. Don't sacrifice your source on the altar of deception. God is faithful. God will remain faithful. So what am I telling you today? I'm telling you just two things. You say, well, what about C? C is this. I'll see you on Easter as we talk about stay away from dead things. Six weeks. Um, If you're here today and you just feel like, man, I just feel like I've been set up in so many different ways. You know what's so interesting? It's King David. He got set up, fell into the trap. But what he did afterward was, was, was really interesting. Like I could give you like a ton of practical ways today of what to do, but maybe that's not what we need today. After David slept with his friend's wife, had him murdered, and fell into that whole mess. When he finally came to his senses because he had a friend who told him, hey, that was wrong, bro. All of a sudden he came to his senses. He realized that he sinned against God. And David didn't come back to God and say, man, God, I promise I'm never going to do that again. God, I just, I promise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can to, to be faithful. No, this is what David prayed, and I hope we would pray this together. He said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. This word create is the word ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. The same word that God used to create the world and speak the universe into existence. Out of nothing God created. And David was saying, man, there's nothing left on the inside of me. I need you to create. I need you to breathe new life into me, God. I need you to create a new heart on the inside of me and renew a loyal spirit within me. Maybe you need to pray that prayer today. Maybe you need to say, man, maybe, maybe you need to ask somebody for help. Maybe you need to invite somebody in. You were designed for connection with God and with others. And Satan is always going to go after those two sources. So can I just encourage you today, listen, be sober-minded, hold your helmet, don't sacrifice your source.